Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the last episode of Opera After Dark. I just realized when I said that, that sounds super ominous, like this is never <laughs> happening again. Season three, last episode of the season three. The last episode of season three. This is not a series finale. This is not Game of right. Thrones, although we are recording it on the very last day of Game of Thrones. That's true. That's kind of ominous. But... That is very ominous. <laughs> it is. However, wow. we have every intention of being back with you in the fall. In the fall for an exciting <laughs> fourth season. So, <laughs> yes, unlike Game of Thrones, we only take off the summer as far as new episodes are concerned. Although, actually, as you'll hear at the end of this episode, that's even not quite the case this time. Right. But either way, you won't have to wait a year and a half for more episodes. <laughs> I, I hope that's not. right. We have plans, people. Right. <laughs> So we thought it'd be nice to wrap up the season just sort of uh, recapping what we thought was the best thing that we saw. Yeah, just like a fun, I guess, look back at the most thrilling live performance experience that each of us got to experience this season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that sounds great. Who wants to kick us off? Oh, I guess I do, because Naomi I don't know. was looking at me. <laughs> so I think the most exciting thing that I saw this season was not an opera. Um, Ooh. Do, do, do. Just not comment on anything. Uh, it was also not something that even had a vocalist in it. Interesting. Whoa. I know. I went to a Chamber Music Society concert where they did... A celebration of George Crumb because he's turning 90 in October. Um, and the concert was balls long. It was so long. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I was so eager to, to know where you went, you were going to go with that. The concert was, uh, it could be anything. It could be terrible, long, amazing, Epic. anything. It yeah. was long. But there was one piece that they played that is a very famous piece of crumbs that I actually had never heard before. It's called, um, oh no, it's called Voices of the Whale, which is a piece that I did not know. And it was one of those things where you come out and they, they dim the lights and the performers are wearing masks. It's flute, piano, and cello. And mm. they basically mimic whale calls, which sounds dumb when I say it like that, but it was incredible. And I... <laughs> It was one of those things where I just closed my eyes and just sort of listened to the music without the distractions of what was going on on stage, and it was incredible. I mean, it sounds... That does sound nice. It sounds genius, the way, like, to actually transcribe whale calls into some kind of performative musical medium sounds very difficult. It was beautiful, and obviously, mm -hmm. since the Chair of Music Society, the performers were all incredible, and... I really enjoyed it. If you have not heard it, I suggest checking it out somewhere. I'm sure it's this on is Spotify. A, this, it is a George Crumb piece? It's a George Crumb piece, yes. Nice. And is this something where you said they were wearing masks? They were just wearing like black domino masks. So do you think it was designed this way? Because I've not seen this piece performed, but I've heard about it. Mm -hmm. And like many years ago, I think I was in conservatory and somebody in my program was performing it. And they were talking about uh, also wearing, like, completely black head-to-toe mm -hmm. with masks to kind of completely envelop the performer in this outfit, I guess. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's in order to 
make the performers not distract from the content of the piece or are they are the performers supposed to be the whales like what is the I'm not sure I took it, it as a way to sort of um have the performers not be distracting but when they did it the performers were all wearing their concert clothes Oh. And then these these black masks. But I really encourage you to enjoy it the way I did, which was just closing my eyes. So I wasn't distracted by anything other than what was being played. That sounds amazing. Mm-hmm. And the lights were all dark and it just, it was really great because you just focused only on what you were hearing. So it's flute, piano, and cello. Cello. That sounds beautiful. It does sound really nice. I mean, when you first hear the concept... At least I can't help but think of like Dory and Finding Nemo, like doing whale <laughs> whale speech, <laughs> which is of course is silly, but I am sure this is not a silly performance. It it was very serious. <laughs> they took it <laughs> That's very good. seriously. How yes. how often would you guys say, just as a general like listening practice, how often when you're at a live performance do you just close your eyes? I. Don't, but I find I've been doing it more and more, especially in in chamber music and orchestral concerts, because it just really helps me focus on what's right. going on. I mean, obviously in opera, I wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done it before in opera. Have you? Yeah, I mean, it's usually in a in a moment where there's not so much action happening on stage, mm-hmm. and or. I don't know, sometimes the action that is happening on stage is a little bit distracting or, you know, it's or in a moment where whatever's happening on stage isn't really additive Mm -hmm. to the overall plot or anything. Just to, I mean, it's for the same reasons to be able to focus in on the music and the sounds. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't do it a ton, but I definitely do it often enough. I enjoy it. Yeah, I don't do it a lot, but I will say that especially if I've seen a production before, um, then I feel like I have more, I'm not, I don't feel as guilty or I'm not as worried that I'm going to miss something on stage if I kind of like know mm-hmm. what the staging is going to be. Um, then mm-hmm. I can focus more on the singers and and the orchestra and like musically what's going on. Um, I And I definitely do it more though in chamber music or orchestral concerts because sometimes you just want to experience the actual sounds and not be distracted by all the things that you see. Mm-hmm. So I did do it when we saw Pelias and Melisande, but mm-hmm. actually fell, I fell asleep. <laughs> oh no, that is the danger when I you know. close your eyes. I took like a twenty-minute cat nap in Act Two when they're oh. in the house and nothing is well. Twenty minutes, but like really nothing. And the curtain went down, and I woke up, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> <laughs> did, did were you snoring? I was sitting beside her the whole time, and I didn't realize that she was asleep the whole time. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Yeah. So that's she wasn't. She definitely wasn't making any noise because I would have noticed. Yeah. <laughs> I do feel like sometimes you're set up for failure, especially like I'm sure you guys were there on a weeknight, right? We're there on yep. a weeknight. Um, the production is very gray and brown, mm-hmm. and you know it's you- very like cerebral. The music itself Peace. of Peleus and Melisande is, you know, it's very quiet. There's only like three fortissimos in the entire score. Right. And to me, it doesn't get really good to, to me until like, you know, is it act three where she's like, oh, my hair so long, so long? I think that's act <laughs> three. 
three. That's at three. From there to the end is when I'm like, oh, yeah, this is getting good. And the guy who played uh, Gulo, mm-hmm. his big, like, Shayna with the kid, he was so, so good. He was really good. I think it was Kyle Kettleson. Kyle Kettleson. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he is very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But act three for me in Peleos is when it starts, like, really I really like act one in Peleos. Then I kind of zone out until act three. Yeah. And then I kind stuff. of come back again. Yeah. In the final act. Because like, I was like, who are all these people? I don't care what these people are. <laughs> I just mean as a general thing. So you, you I see it on a weekday. You've been working all day. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you go and have a meal and mm-hmm. maybe like a glass of wine. And then you sit still in a dark room for many hours. It's like you... <laughs> If even if you just took those bits of information and said what what happens next, right? <laughs> the answer should be I almost fell asleep. <laughs> right. I think during you know yeah you're saying it's during the week you go out for dinner you have probably a little bit to drink mm-hmm. and then you go to the opera and I feel like the only opera that is good when you do that is Pearl Fisher's because it's short <laughs> the music is pretty it's easy to follow and again it's wildly entertaining. Right. Well. Oddly enough, for me, the the time that I feel most drowsy is always in Act One. It's always like because I think it's because of that, like where I've been moving, doing stuff mm. all day, and, and then now when you're I finally in the dark. yeah sit still yeah. in the dark. I'm like, oh gosh. <laughs> right. I think it, it for me it like really depends on the music because there's certain operas where like the pacing in Act One is just great. Like La Traviata is a good example right. of or like. Bohem. The curtain opens and like you're just carried along in this rhythm that really kind of locks you in and holds your attention. And it's not really until that pacing starts to change that I start drooping. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I usually I usually find that like right before intermission, like the 20 minutes before intermission, I usually have to like fight to keep myself focused. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then I intermission comes and I have a break and I can like get water and walk around a bit and then I can kind of reset for the second bit or the next bit. Sure. But, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> the struggle is real. The struggle is real. But Kyle. for the record, that that opening of Peleus and Melisande, I mean... It's very foreboding. I love that orchestral music of mm-hmm. Peleus and Melisande and so I was really excited for the like the opening 30 bars. <laughs> And then your excitement started to wane. And then it starts to wane. But but I do like the opening scene of Paleos. Mm-hmm. So. Nice. Well, Kyle, what is the favorite thing that you saw live this season? I Yeah, I actually very quickly had something come to mind. And I'm glad that we have a chance to talk about it. I don't know if we talked about it earlier this season or not. But this season, I absolutely loved, loved, loved seeing the opera Silent Night by Aww. Kevin Putz. Yeah, Kevin Putz and Mark Campbell. Uh, I saw it at Arizona Opera. And it is just such a cool piece. It's great because it's really, for me, I think it's the first contemporary opera that I've seen that I thought this, like, a, a mass audience could really enjoy this piece. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't have to be a hardcore opera fan mm-hmm. to really enjoy this opera um, and one of the big reasons that I, I thought that was the case is because it does kind of play like a movie uh, and the opera is based off of a, a movie Joyeux Noël a French film mm-hmm. uh, 
and generally it's about a Christmas truce that happened in the first year of World War One. Uh, but there's just so much to it that I think it's so beautiful, but also so tense. Uh, Kevin Putz did a really good job of setting the music for it. And so there's just, as an audience member, there's so much for you to latch onto. And there, there's a lot of realism that plays through. Um, I don't know if it's because it's a, a subject that people feel like they can at least remotely understand conceptually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's great. Have either of you guys seen that piece? I've not, oh, seen, well, it. I've not seen it live. I know. I, I guess as I'm saying that, I know for a fact that, that <laughs> Naomi Naomi has watched a recording. Yes. I've never seen it live. I've watched an archival video recording of it um, because I did several lectures on it <laughs> right. for... Arizona Opera. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I was I was going to say like and I'm sure that you were really well prepared to see Silent Night, right, Kyle? Because the right. lectures and community engagement efforts at Arizona Opera leading up to it were fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right, right. Just such high quality content surrounding that performance. It's true. Um, but in all seriousness, I didn't know a whole lot about the opera Silent Night before I was preparing to lecture on it. I knew about the opera. I had listened to excerpts of it and I had interviewed Kevin Putz and met him in the past. But when I actually got to sit down with the score and watch the archival recording and really dig into it from like an educational point of view, there was just so much there. It was really rich. And Mm -hmm. I think there was so many ways that people like Kyle said, who are not opera lovers or aficionados could really enter into the work from a variety of different points and so even if they weren't really into modern music but they were into history that offered like an avenue in or if they are really into modern music then there was a lot there in terms of different stylistic things that he played with if you love choral music there was like beautiful choruses in it and Mm -hmm. stuff like that so there was just so much that you could do and the staging for it is always really interesting because you have like three groups of soldiers that have to interact throughout the plot and so that leads Mm -hmm. to some really interesting staging um innovations i guess you could say and directing so there's lots of ways that you can get into it but it's a really great piece yeah definitely the and as far as that staging concept, there's been, I think, three primary stagings of this since the opera premiered in, in 2012. Mm-hmm. And the first one was at Minnesota, and it was actually like pretty grand, like a huge set that's based on a turntable, and that's how they achieved the three different trenches. Right. And then uh, at, at Glimmerglass, they actually put three trenches stacked on top of each other. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's interesting. Um, which is, yeah, and I think that production is being performed at Utah Opera next year, like in January. And mm-hmm. then the production at Arizona Opera was one that um, first ran at in San Jose, and it's like kind of, I mean, three separate trenches that are maneuverable. They're like on rollers, and so they roll all around the stage depending on what's what's happening. Right. But pretty cool conceptually. I think... The two things that I really love most about the opera that stand out to me, uh, one is that it's set technically in five different languages. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you have the three different armies. You have a, a, a French 
regiment, a Scottish regiment, and a German regiment. So each of them are, are singing in their own language. And then the, the opera actually opens with like an opera performance in a Berlin opera house where the, the singers are singing in Italian. Mm-hmm. Um, and then technically there's some Latin in there because there's like a, a Latin church service that happens at one point. Oh, right. I forgot about that. But I've, that aspect of it is so intriguing because as an audience member, you can see it much like, and you have a great vantage point because you're reading super titles anyways. So you can seamlessly go from language to language um, and have that authenticity, but still understand what's going on. And then the other thing that I thought was just so cool is that Kevin puts with the music that he set, he, there is tension that's built into the score in a, in a way that we find in a lot of more modern operatic music, but it's in a way that's reflective of the plot. So in really tense moments in the plot, you have more tension in the music. And then in moments of beauty within the plot, you know, depending on what's happening, that's when it gets more melodic. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's just a ton there. I I loved it. It's, yeah, one of my favorite operas that I've seen live. It's cool. a really great piece. Yeah. 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 So that's that. I remember when I saw the video thinking that especially the moments where the orchestra is, it's purely orchestral and they're like trying to depict the trench warfare that's happening. That was Mm -hmm. extremely powerful because I felt like the orchestra really captured the sounds of that kind of chaos and, and conflict in a way that like there's other musical warfare in opera or there's like musical storms and things like that but it's it's hard to capture like the sound of a war that people that you probably have met in your life lived through right and and then to actually translate that into an orchestral score can be difficult but i feel like he really did an amazing job mm-hmm. yeah but i guess it leaves me yeah um, yes, it so does. we You've actually had all this time to think about it. Now. I know we actually had a whole episode this season about like <laughs> my best night at the oh. opera. Um, so I still think of that, all time of all time um, that Don Giovanni this season was just like really incredible and is still pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought of another moment this season that really stuck with me uh, outside of Don Giovanni. And that was um, seeing Deanna Damrau singing Violetta in La Traviata. So it was the first time I saw her sing it live. And I was actually way up in the top balcony uh, or the top rung of the Met. And I bought like a partial view ticket right at the very front. So I was kind of leaning over the balcony the whole time watching it from above but just hearing her sing that was incredible she was amazing and the production because I was seeing it all from like a bird's eye view I don't have a great sense of the movement of the production and and what the new production like lent to the story I do remember (laughs) thinking that the costumes were like a little bananas in terms of color palette because Mm -hmm. they were very (laughs) saturated like it kind of looked like Disney had teamed up with like HBO or something to create a live action Traviata oh, wow. in terms right. of the costumes. But um, 
so, but her costumes for actual for Violetta were stunning and were not in that kind of saturated color palette. So she really stood out from everybody else. And just hearing her sing it live was amazing. So there were moments where I actually cried in the opera house, which doesn't happen all the time. And so, because it was just, she was so beautiful and she sounded amazing. And, you know, the story of Violetta is not a happy one. And so, Mm -hmm. like, you really feel for this character, or at least for me, like, she made me really sympathize with this particular character. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad that you you mentioned that because since that was something that was performed in HD, hopefully a lot of our listeners got to see it. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, she sang it um, opposite Juan Diego Flores. Mm-hmm. He was the Alfredo. And right. um, yeah, and so, and like, I did not know what to expect from him because for me, Juan Diego Flores is such a bel canto singer right. that I didn't really know how I would feel about him singing Germain. And I thought he sounded really fantastic. Like the voice is actually grown and evolved. And he really, I think he really worked into that role or up to that role. And so it didn't sound misplaced or anything like that. He wasn't my favorite Alfredo of all time, but I think he really served her well and like really served the production well and so um, but I think that for me she was like the the crowning glory of that so but I will admit that I'm biased because she's one of my favorite sopranos so oh I mean she's one of the world's favorite sopranos I know great but getting to see her live was something really special so oh yeah yeah so Naomi I'm also curious and I hate to, to bring up something that is kind of negative Okay. But didn't we find out after? <laughs> but I hate you. <laughs> no. <Just kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. I knew I'm it. sorry that we have to bring this out on the podcast, but I <laughs> hate your guts. <laughs> um, no, but. Please tell me you joke. Not too. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's going to be record, awkward. People. Yeah, it would be awkward. Oh, yeah, I'd like to put on the record that I like Naomi. I think she's a great person. <laughs> Anyways, didn't we find out after we recorded that Don Giovanni episode that the Times actually like tore that opera apart? Oh yeah, they did. They, ri- they like ripped it a new asshole. They ripped they it to shreds. It. Yeah. yeah, and it was interesting because the review in the Times was just like decimated it. It was like just awful review. And then I can't remember where this other review came from. It might have been like the Washington something or other post. I don't know. But um, there was another review that to me, like it, it really captured everything that I felt about it. So it was like, you know, gushing over this amazing production and then to mm-hmm. read that and then read the Times review that just <laughs> tore it apart. It was like... It was crazy, but it really shows you that, you know, opera is in, like, the eyes and ears of the beholder. Whether Art you is subjective, right. everybody. Art is very subjective, and so, um, and I, in this particular instance with Don Giovanni, it does go back to long-trodden debates about the female characters mm-hmm. in Don Giovanni, mm-hmm. because there's a whole kind of debate and scholarship about whether or not Donna Anna knows that Don Giovanni is the masked man in her room at the beginning or whether she actually thinks it was Ottavio and how you interpret like that moment really affects how you view the rest of 
what she does throughout the opera. Like, is she a liar? Is she conniving? Mm-hmm. Is she um, yeah. trying to pull, like, the wool over Don Ottavio's eyes? Or is she actually, you know, actually, was she manipulated and tricked and that kind of thing? And so um, that was part of, I think, dissenting opinions was the way that they chose to play that particular character. But also I just loved how... Don Giovanni was a bad guy in that production. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. many productions of the past have made him almost like this glorified sexual hero. And that's really annoying when that's the tact that is taken. Whereas this one, to me personally, whereas this one really, to me, revealed like that he is a manipulative, horrible person. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so it, to me, it made the whole drama like come together in a way that made sense and resonated with me but but the times did not agree with me so such is life so that's what we liked this season and please reach out to us on social media and let us know what your favorite moment from the opera season and classical music season was for you wherever you live doesn't have to be opera doesn't have to be opera elspeth has said um any live performance that you feel like you know surprised you or was the Mm -hmm. most exciting thing this season so yeah and so then looking to the future what do we have going on what's the deal well as (laughs) promised we are coming back with season four Uh so keep an eye out in the fall um but we have some exciting developments between now and then we have a bunch of things in the hopper so to speak we do all of us will be traveling separately Um, yes throughout the summer (laughs) throughout the summer all over the world and so we might be coming out with some fun international content so Mm -hmm. keep your eyes and ears peeled for that Mm -hmm. that's basically the biggest description we're going to give you so really the best thing is to either subscribe to the podcast or like us on social media because that's how we're going to let you know when all of this is happening exactly yes And then we also have a development that um, we know several people that we've talked to in person that are fans of the podcast will probably be excited about. Mm -hmm. And that is that we are in the final home stretch of launching our Opera After Dark store. (gasps) Merch, everyone. Merch is coming to the website. So... We are in the final stages of testing products and testing all of our payment systems and things like that, but um, we have an exciting array of hoodies, t-shirts, tote bags, mugs, mugs, cell phone covers, (laughs) uh, things like that where you can uh, proudly display your love for Opera After Dark Mm -hmm. um, through all kinds of fun merch. So keep an eye out for that. We will definitely announce it with a big splash once we've got it up and running. Uh, Fingers crossed that it will be deployed within a month, but at the, you know, worst case scenario, sometime this summer. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm so excited about having a giant Mozart with headphones on my chest <laughs> as I'm walking down the street. Aren't we all? Right? That's the dream, right? Yes. Mozart with headphones, glowing neon pink. That is the dream. Glowing neon pink on black, Opera After Dark. Mm-hmm. We've got some fun stuff. So that's coming. And also this summer, we're going to be making some live appearances, which is very exciting. In person. For us, in person. Um, so if if you happen to be in Ohio, 
and you want to <laughs> travel to Cincinnati at the end of July, we are doing a couple of events for Cincinnati Opera, which we're really excited mm-hmm. about. Um, mm-hmm. Just keep an eye on our social media, and we will uh, release all that information once everything is finalized. But so we'll be traveling to Cincinnati for their season. And it'll be super exciting and super fun. And I was told that I not have to curtail my language. So (laughs) (laughs) thank God, because that could be a deal breaker. Exactly. (laughs) I can't be handicapped in such a way. Freedom of expression is very important. Um, And so we are doing another event that Kyle's going to talk about that I probably will have to curtail my language a little bit. That's okay. So also coming up very quickly, actually. Uh, we are all going to be going to a performance, a live performance in New York City. We will all be seeing As One, which is being performed by New York City Opera Renaissance and American Opera Projects. Uh, we'll be going to a performance on Tuesday, June the 4th. And prior to that, we would love to have some Opera After Dark listeners come out and meet us. We'll be at Vanguard Wine Bar before that performance. It's just right next to the the performance venue. Definitely, definitely uh, go to our different social media pages to get details on that. Uh, We'll be sending some information out about discount tickets. Uh, We've coordinated with uh, New York City Opera about getting some discounts. So go to social media if you want to get a discounted ticket and to hang out with us before the opera. Yeah, Yeah, we're fun. We are fun, and it's a pretty amazing opera. This opera, I believe, ranked in the top 10 most often performed operas in North America um, in 2018 or 2017. Laura said it was the most performed. The most performed? Well, it's it's the, it's the most performed new opera. New opera. Like, m- most performed modern opera okay. right. in North America. But I think it also ranked within the top 10 most often performed operas, mm-hmm. like competing against Verdi, Puccini, Mozart, right. that kind of thing. So a, yeah. a really important work, I think, to see and experience live if you can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's composed by Laura Kaminsky, and the libretto was uh, created by Kimberly Reed and Mark Campbell. And it was very much a collaboration between the three of them. And um, there's lots of great, um, great dialogue that it has generated, I think. And so you should definitely check it out and meet up with us beforehand. Yay, it'll be a fun a fun night. It will. Yes. So if you haven't gathered to this point, the most important thing to do is certainly to ins- to subscribe mm-hmm. to this podcast mm-hmm. uh, because that's how you'll be sure to get any new content that we release. And then definitely connect with us through whatever social media platform you use, as long as it's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, because that's where we will release some of our new updates in regards to merchandise, live events, and other things. Uh, We're excited to be in touch with you all over this summer and hopefully meet some of you in person. If you have a wish list of operas or topics that you want us to cover in season four, um, we will entertain ideas. So Yes, we had a couple of people email suggestions of operas they want us to talk about, none of which, by the way, are funny. And so I'm not 100% sure <laughs> how we're going to roll with that, but we're going to do our best. Yes. So right. we will definitely entertain all ideas, and we can't promise that we'll get to everything that is asked of us, but we will certainly try our very best. Absolutely. 
And before we wrap up season three, we really want to take a moment to thank the people that have supported us, uh, both through liking and subscribing, but also those that have gone to our Patreon page and supported the podcast financially. Uh, Your assistance, your support of the podcast has helped us to develop some of this new content that we're working on. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're extremely grateful. Uh, If you yourself would like to support the podcast in this way, you can find out more information at patreon.com slash opera after dark. Yes. So thank you everybody so, so much for your support. And we are excited for what the future holds. And with that, I'm Naomi. I'm Elspeth. And I'm Kyle. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.